We're going to go to John 10. John 10 today. We're, we're going to deal here with, um, with, again, who Jesus is and the love that he shares with us um, as really this loving shepherd. You ever been a victim of a case of mistaken identity? Sometimes that can kind of not go all that well. There's a store in Oklahoma City that I go into occasionally, and there's a guy there who thinks he knows me, but he doesn't. Uh, literally. And it was what was funny is I didn't figure it out till probably six months after this started happening. Uh, I ran into a guy. Uh, I, we, Ron and I used to sit in the balcony after after uh, I play in the first service, and um, uh, there's a guy that's an usher up there who's an attorney, and he said, "Man, you are a dead ringer for." And he mentioned this guy's name, who's a who's a judge in town. And I'm telling you, every time I go into this particular store, this guy treats me like he knows me, and I'm not who he thinks I am. And I've corrected him two or three times, and he still gets it wrong. I forget what this guy's name, what the judge's name is, but he's a really good-looking guy. And uh, <laughs> you ever been a victim of a mistaken identity, or have you ever? Uh, you have, Julie, like here. Not in this church. Okay, not in this church. All right, all right. Or have you mistaken somebody for somebody else? You know. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting little phenomenon. Well, what you and I are going to deal with today is the text that we're going to read from is about removing confusion regarding the, the identity of the one who leads us and protects us and provides for us. There is only one claim like this. It's that unique. You don't need to look beyond him and beyond his story. And so we're going we're gonna to pull this text which is from the kind of the middle chapters of John's gospel. So if you will, go with me to John 10, if you're not there already. And uh, let me give you just a little bit of background. I had not realized until I studied this again this week that the context of chapter 10 of John is really what's going on in chapter 9, which is one of my favorite stories, but I just never tied it up together. Uh, by the way, I heard uh, um, President Fosler was talking earlier this week uh, in, a, in a group that I was involved in, and he, he, he challenged me on something. It is good to know find certain things in your Bible. Where's the shepherd psalm, the 23rd psalm, right? Where is the longest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119? Uh, where is, um, uh, Dr. Fosler, you, you were talking about specifically, where is the Abrahamic covenant, and it's in Genesis 12. Um, it's repeated, but it begins there. Um, if I said to you, what's the chapter where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd? You ought to think about John 10. You ought to, um, when you're studying a particular book of the Bible, you ought to tr try to kind of think about the highlights and where I might go back to to find them. Um, I'm the, uh, the vine and the branches is John 15. Uh, John's great high, um, uh, Jesus' great high priestly prayer in the garden is John 17. So, uh, Lots of those things. I read about the resurrection in 20 and 21. I read about that Emmaus Road uh, experience in 21. So, uh, you know, we kind of catch some of those things. I read about uh, Jesus' first recorded miracle in John 2. I, I read about the woman at the well in John 4. I read about uh, Nicodemus. And we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Nicodemus and uh, 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 the, the great 
words of eternal life that are spoken to him that include John 3.16, obviously in John 3. So kind of catch that. Um, it's just kind of nice as I'm working through in my quiet time or some other place in my Bible study time, trying to connect particular chapters with a story. may not know chapter and verse, the verse exactly, but I can go to the chapter and kind of find it. That's been helpful to me throughout my life. Now, um, I will say this. John 9 has always intrigued me. It's the story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. Now, that in itself is marvelous. And this is the guy whose testimony is after it's all over. He's being interrogated after he's been healed. It's clear that something miraculous has taken place. And now he's, he's kind of in the hot seat with uh, religious leaders around him. And in, toward the end of John 9, he finally takes as much of it as he wants to take. And he said, you know, I really don't know exactly who that is. All I know is this. I once was blind and now I can see. Have you heard those words before? John Newton kind of took, took those words and made that into a song. If you remember, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. Now, the, the issue on the table here is that the, the leaders were infuriated with his answer, the pharisaical leaders of the day, and they literally threw him out of the synagogue. They said, you can't come back here anymore. You know what? That ticked Jesus off, and I'm happy about that, aren't you? You see, they wanted to have the say for who's in and who's out. And so when Jesus begins his teaching in John 10, he's going to further infuriate them because he's going to use some language here that says, I am, and he's going to use I am over and over and over. But one of the things he's going to end up letting them know is, I'm the one through whom you go to know the Father. And he's going to make that case in John 10. I hope that context helps you a little bit like it helps me. Now, Steve, would you mind, this is a longer portion, but I, but I, I think you're warmed up. I heard you over there doing your me, 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 me thing earlier. So uh, read, if you would start with John 10, 1 and read the first 10 verses. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Okay, we've got some passages we're going to need to read to get some context here. So I'm going to assign a couple of those. And if you wouldn't mind, we'll kind of pass this microphone around. Uh, Cindy, would you go to Hebrews 5, verse 12, and I'm going to have you read 12, 13, and 14. That'll come in just a little bit. Um, and then if you wouldn't mind then after that point, um, uh, where's the other one? Oh, um, now, I don't normally pick on people like this, okay? But I, I only do this to friends, all right? Jeff Russell, would you mind to get the mic from her? And we'll, we'll do 2 Peter 2, 1 at some point. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Okay, now, let's talk a little bit about what he is dealing with here. There is a difference between those who intend to hurt the sheep and those who would care for them. Would you, would you admit that? that he, he begins by talking about this, there is a difference between those who intend to hurt the sheep and those who would care for them. Uh, many of you know I, I lead a Bible study here on Tuesday morning, and um, I don't think I'm talking about anybody that anybody would recognize the story in this room because it happened years and years ago, actually back in the old church. Um, that group... We had maybe 12 or 14 of us coming. And, and there was a fellow that showed up who didn't show up to learn. He showed up to espouse a particular branch of Christianity that just didn't fit what we were trying to do. I, when, I, when I began my, my Bible study, I began it for guys that I either knew weren't Christian or I didn't know. And I wanted a place where they could talk about the issues and talk about scriptures and not be afraid to ask any question. Well, there was a guy there who uh, probably uh, at least thought he knew more than I did, and maybe he did. But his particular spin on the gospel didn't really fit what we were up to. And it, um, in, in particular, um, uh, every question, every comment he made was trying to kind of take us on a tangent and I finally took about as much of it after the second or third week as I could. And I said, okay, you got to know something. That, that, where you're going, I understand where you're trying to take us. But this is not what this group is about. So we're moving on. And he didn't come back. And my feelings weren't hurt at all. <laughs> we moved on. You see, there, because I really had the sense... That the agenda was not good for the sheep in my little flock. And as their shepherd, I just had to kind of protect that, you know? I'm going to do that in here. Um, maybe you've wondered sometimes why we don't often have um, guest speakers at crossings. Not very often. Notice that? It's because... In my 24 or so year history of that, we've had that happen a few times, and uh, it had kind of a devastating outcome. It was like, okay, we handed the pulpit over to this person, and they took us a direction that was just inappropriate. And we'd get together on Monday morning and say, oh man, here we go again. Now you know why we don't do that very much, okay? So 
Jesus is saying there are those who are going to try to help the flock and those who aren't good for the flock. And he's going to identify himself as the one who's good for the flock here in verse 1. He's going to be the one who will care for them. Now, the pen here, the sheep pen or the sheep fold that he's talking about is uh, the imagery that they would understand that you and I probably don't know as much is a low stacked stone fence Okay. Uh, when I was in Kentucky, we would see stacks on fences all over the bluegrass that were built uh, actually probably by slave labor in the 1800s. And they weren't tall enough to keep the horses from jumping over them. So they would erect uh, tall creosote fences behind those fences. Well, if you can imagine a fence that's, you know, three or four feet tall, the sheep are not going to jump over it. They just won't. They're too chicken, for one thing. They won't jump over it. And what Jesus is talking about is that there is a guardian over the, uh, the, the gate of the pen. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he, would look, he was looking around him, and he saw somebody foreign. And by foreign, I don't mean somebody of a different descent. I'm talking about somebody who didn't come in through the gate they didn't come in through the door. They stepped over or hopped over that low stone wall. And Jesus is saying to the guys in John 9, how did you get in here? And he's not happy about it. Because you've got an agenda that's contrary to God's agenda. How did Jesus know what God's agenda was? By the way, that question is on the, on the cover of Duh Magazine this month, okay? He was God in the flesh. He's going to say, this is not God's agenda. And he looks around him in the sheepfold and he realizes, there are some people here who have jumped the fence to get in. And they're tearing things up. And he's not happy about it. And I'm happy that he's not happy about it. He uses a word. Actually, the, the beginning word uh, or a couple of words that, is, that begins this here. He's getting ready to talk about those who want to decide who belongs and who does not. And, and he begins to say, you know what? They didn't get in through the door. They jumped the fence. But he begins the word, uh, begins the, this chapter. Did you catch the word? He says it twice. What is it? First two words in the chapter. Verily, verily, or truly, truly. Depending on what you're, anybody else says something else? I think that may most. Most assuredly. Most assuredly. Now, that's interesting. What translation is that, Julie? That's the MacArthur. Um, okay. King James Version, but the MacArthur Study Bible. Okay, okay. So, most assuredly. You know what the word is? Amen. Or if you're from the Northeast, amen. He begins this statement with an amen. Isn't it interesting? We, we typically think of that at the end as kind of a blessing. Or uh, we think of it as a word that's used after something truthful is said. And we respond, you're right. Amen to that. He's going to offer the amen before he ever speaks. 
Listen to what I've got to say, he's going to say. It's really, really important. What he's about to say is reliable. The word is surely, this is true. And this whole chapter begins with that. Now look at verse 2 and 3. Just kind of scan it while I talk here for a minute. This is really important as well. Only the shepherd leads the sheep to safe pasture. You remember um, the second verse or so of Psalm 23. Uh, he, he leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Um, he leads me. You know, it's that whole idea of the, the, the shepherd appropriately or well pasturing the sheep. Well, this is, this is kind of key here. There is only one shepherd who can lead the sheep to safe pasture. When I was a kid, a little kid, um, I would go sometimes to the farm with my mom's dad, my grandfather, who, when I call him my grandfather, that never seems right. He was Papa. And uh, my closest um, my closest grandparent, uh, you've heard me talk about Roy Cherry probably before. He was, uh, he was just old enough to enlist or be drafted, I suppose, in World War I in the Army. And by the time World War II came around, he was just under the limit of being too old. And he, he enlisted in the Navy in World War II. So I have, in, in my study at home, I've got dog tags from World War I and World War II that say Roy L. Cherry on them. Um, it, it's kind of incredible. When, when my, uh, Cody, my freshman year, when I was with you, I would go home, um, go back to Paola on the weekend where he lived, and I'd, I would listen to uh, an American history lecture, and I would think, is that, come on, is that really? And so the way I vetted that is I'd sit at my papa's feet and say, hey, tell me, pal, how did this really happen? He was a walking history book because he'd lived it all. He had a farm just outside of Paola. Now, by the way, did you know there are suburbs of Paola? That is, this is kind of one of the suburbs, okay? <laughs> that, he, uh, that he leased uh, his, most of his life. My, my mom grew up there on land uh, in, in a house that he built that, uh, on land that they never owned, which I just find that really intriguing. But, um, but we would go in his car to feed the cows, my grandfather whistled all the time. Uh, I could pick out some of the tunes, some of the tunes I could not pick out, but he whistled all the time. And um, it was so interesting because when he would get out of the car, if the cows weren't already coming up to feed, they would hear that whistle and here they'd come. And it wasn't, he wasn't really, you know, wasn't doing that. He was, he was just whistling, you know, home on the range. But they recognized it. They also recognized his red Ford car. And they just, it was just like, okay, who, who rang the dinner bell, Papa? And he, he, well, you know, they know what I'm here for. I can still smell the cattle cubes in the trunk of that old Ford car. In my, when I think of it, I can smell the interior of that car, and I can smell in my mind the cattle cubes in the trunk. There was always some in it. They knew him. They knew kind of his voice, but in particular for my grandpa, they knew his whistle. Now, there's several times, Jesus is going to take, take this on over and over here. 
There is a distinct call of Jesus. And my question is, do you know it? Would you recognize it? Maybe more importantly, would you recognize a different call if there was a call trying to masquerade as Jesus' call? And I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about how we kind of find that or how we know that he has a distinct voice, he has a distinct call. And my question is, do you know his voice? My, uh, my understanding is, uh, uh, Philip Keller, in fact, has written a lot about this. He, he would say that he would go to uh, particular places uh, in the Middle East where shepherds were plying their trade, and there might be a dozen of them at a watering hole. The flocks would intermingle, and you and I would think, Oh, man, how are they going to sort this out? But when the shepherd let, was leaving, his whistle, his voice, his flock followed him out. I don't get that. Except Jesus tells me, my sheep know my voice. Do you know it? Have you heard it? Do you recognize it when you hear it? Are you going to recognize a contrary voice? That's kind of the challenge here. That's what he's taken on from this story in chapter 9. Okay, so look at verse 4. Uh, this is interesting to me. I want to read it again. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, again, I'm going to tell you, several times it's going to talk about the voice of the Savior here. We're going to, we're going to kind of take that apart in a little bit, but... Let's, let's catch this for a second. Shepherds in the biblical world don't drive sheep. Okay? Remember when Rowdy Yates was on Rawhide? Remember Rawhide? Anybody old enough remember Rawhide? What'd they call those guys besides cowboy? Drovers. They drove cattle. Sheep don't drove very well. They have to be led. And so if you notice in, in the picture here that Jesus is picturing, he says, I go in ahead of them. They follow him. My sheep know my voice because I'm in front of them. Don't follow somebody who's trying to push you. Can you hear me? I, I find it really intriguing that um, that the good shepherd leads from the front and that's all made possible by hearing his voice. Now, go with me. I, I want us to read several passages here. Uh, go to 329. I want you to hear, listen for the common denominator as we read these together. We're, we're gonna take all these from John Actually, go to 325. It would help if I found the right chapter. Okay. There we go. 329. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. 
So this joy of mine has been made full. Now, go with me to 525. Listen for the common denominator here. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Look at verse 28, same chapter. Don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Okay, go to 18. I'm going to go past our passage here. 1837. Okay, 1837. Pilate said to him, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly, I'm a king. For this I've been born. And for this I've come to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now go back to chapter 10 and look with me at verse 5. And I'm going to read it from the New American Standard that I'm working from here today. I just like the way this says this. If you're in the NIV, it's good. But I just like the way this says this. A stranger they simply will not follow. But will flee from him. Because they don't know the voice of strangers. Is it important for the shepherd to speak with the voice of Christ? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Listen to the peril that's presented here in 2 Peter. The peril of an uncertain or incorrect or foreign voice. Second, uh, uh, okay, sorry, I got, got us out of, out of line, but we'll go back the other way in a minute. Second Peter, um, what are we, Jeff, 2-1? Two, 2-1. One. Two, one. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Uh, sounds like, I'm going to pass this back over. Sounds like there is peril for the one who teaches the wrong thing. I live in fear of this all the time. That I won't mess it up. That I won't give you an uncertain sound or, or something just off. You ever reading some, I'm, I'm reading a book right now that I'm about ready to put down because occasionally I'll read it and I'll think, okay, this guy is speaking from his particular bias. This is not the word of God. And it, it just kind of, it's like, okay. But the question is, guys, if I'm listening to somebody on TV or if I'm reading a book or if I'm listening to some preacher, pastor, whatever, how do I know what is true and what is not true? How do I recognize the voice of God and the voice of error? I think, I think Hebrews 5 will give us a little bit of insight. Cindy, if you'd read 5.12 and go down to 14. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use, have trained themselves. Have you trained yourself to distinguish good from evil? Now, the constant use it's talking about is the constant use of this book. And I'm going to tell you, this is not that I'm some authority or that I went to seminary and did all those things. It is because I read the book that occasionally I will hear somebody preach something or occasionally I'll hear somebody teach something or I'll read something and I'll say, eh, I don't think so. And I may not even put exactly chapter and verse on it, but I just know there's something about a half a bubble off. You know what I'm talking about? How do I know that? It's because I've read the truth. And I'm going to ask you, are you reading the truth? He will never not tell you the truth. And those that are, he's going to call in verse 6 a thief. He's going to call a thief. It's really, really critical that you and I are able to recognize the right and the good and recognize what's not. It's interesting in verse 6 that the Pharisees in this passage are thieves as he's referring to. Uh, Look back at at, at verse 6 just for a second. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were, which he'd been saying to them. He's kind of working with them, but he's talking about these people who are trying to steal his work. And what I want to remind you of, we've looked at several instances of it here, and several, three or four in this chapter, where he says, my sheep know my voice. What I got to remind you of, we didn't study chapter nine, but if we were to look at it right now, what you need to recognize is that the blind man could only hear his voice before he touched him. After he could see, he still recognized the voice. This was, a, this was a face he had never seen, but he knew the voice. It's all critical for you and I to be able to recognize, to know the voice. And there's only one. Am I going to know it? I'm going to constantly immerse in his word and in his words and in his voice so that when a contrary voice is presented to me, I'll recognize it. It's what the Hebrews writer says, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I'm telling you, the words in red are only good. In verse 7, Jesus makes an audacious claim. There's, this is one of those many I am statements in the Bible. So you can write I am in, in the blank there in verse 7. He's, this audacious claim, I am the gate. The shepherd often would, um, my understanding is, would lay across the opening at night. Whatever the opening was in this wall or the sheep pen, uh, the shepherd would lay across there, literally becoming the gate, the gateway. Nobody was getting in there except coming through him. I love that about him, that he would identify himself in that way. He literally became the gate. And he's going to say, in in commenting here on what's going on in chapter 9, I alone decide who gets in here and what you need to hear. And I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through. But you need to hear to the devil 
Jesus is saying, over my, not dead body. <laughs> Gotta think, remember we just celebrated Easter? Over my quite alive body. Okay? Aren't you comforted in the knowledge that Jesus is the gate? He's the door. He's not going to let any wolf in to take you. Even if he's got a preacher's clothing on. And if he climbs over the wall, you and I are going to recognize them as thieves and look the other way. Well, beautiful language here and beautiful imagery. Verse 8, there can only be one chief shepherd. And notice here the response of the sheep. Look at, look at verse 8 again. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. Isn't it interesting that the man born blind in chapter 9 didn't really hear all those other teachers? Wasn't interested in that. They didn't give him what he needed. He, the one that he heard and heard the voice, the one that he called out to, was the only one who could help him. The sheep don't hear them. They only hear me, he says. Pretty important here. I read this week again. Back in 1978, um, actually earlier on, um, a guy by the name of Jim Jones started his ministry in, or in and around Indianapolis, Indiana. But he moved his people or his followers to the People's Temple in California in the late 1960s, and he gained real notoriety at that time. His ministry focused on issues of social justice, and because of that, he developed a huge following among society's downtrodden people. For a time, Jones was endorsed by many leading politicians. Isn't that interesting? He was on TV quite a bit. But following his exposure as a cult leader, he moved his congregation to Jonestown, he named it, in Guyana, his little empire came crashing down in 1978 with the mass suicide and murder of over 900 people there, including himself. Jim Jones was merely one spiritual charlatan in a line stretching back centuries, I read this week. If anybody's ever said to you, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, they're referring to this. Only Jesus is worthy of unconditional trust. He says it. I've got to deal with it. There's only one who can be the chief shepherd. And those who are with him not only will survive, but they will thrive. Uh, the two passages that I left there for you to look at are talking about how the shepherd leads us to water and leads us to food. Another I am verse here. And so here's one of those Classic, wonderful gospel passages, John 10, 10. You've said it a lot, but maybe you didn't know where it came from, where he says, it's the thief who comes in to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay, here's my question. Are you thriving or are you merely surviving? He came and he died 
And he rose again so that you could abound. I put the reference to Psalm 23, 5, where it talks about your cup filling, overflowing. He came not so that you could just make it by the skin of your teeth. He came so that you could thrive, abound. And my question is, what is your quality of life? Now, let's read, let's move on. We'll read five verses and then I'll close, okay? I am the good shepherd. You notice, he doesn't call himself the good CEO. Nothing wrong with a good CEO, but he doesn't, call, he doesn't use that imagery here. He doesn't use that metaphor. He could have. He doesn't say, I am the good leader. I'm the good shepherd. That's really important. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, says it again, and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There are two words that are added here to his description of himself. He uses the word good. That is a word that's going to identify him with God alone. The word shepherd is another one. Um, in, in places like Psalm, the first verse of Psalm 80, it's going to talk about God being the shepherd of the sheep. He's identifying himself as being who he is, God in the flesh. He's going to say, I am the good shepherd. Let me... From the verses we just read, let me give you some specific things that are told us about him. He lays down his life for you. He owns you. He talks about the difference between an owner and just a steward. He is good, verse 14. He knows the Father, and he is known by the Father, verse 15. That, that's encouraging to me. He knows God, the Father, and he's known by the Father. And woven through this whole thing is the truth that he loves you. Here's what goes in your last blank. Jesus is a shepherd like no other. There's no other. There's no other name. There's no other shepherd. There's no other friend. He has treated you like no other. He deserves your fellowship like no other. Okay, we forgot to do this last week, and we, you know, the week before was Easter, so here we go. 1 John 4, 19, seven words. Have you learned them? Only seven words, okay? Uh, here, here, we're gonna start with the word we. Okay, we'll make it plural. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. You don't need to look for another one. Your shepherd is the only one worthy of following. Okay, we're going to go to the fish story next week. Start with Jonah 1, but we're still going to be talking about the love of God. Okay, I will see you here next week. Have a great Sunday.